let's get right into it. I want, to, I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 as you're turning there. Uh, let me not take for granted that there may be some of you who are new with us. And so we've been in this uh, series entitled Different, walking through this letter that Peter writes to a group of Christians that are Jewish that have been uh, taken from their home, uh, have been scattered across uh, from their nation of Israel and scattered across the five provinces of Asia that are all under Roman captivity and uh, are under Roman rule, I should say. And uh, these Jewish Christians, having been separated from their family, from the land that they know, uh, and in a foreign country under a leader who is oppressive, under Nero at the time that Peter uh, has written this letter, and in the midst of all of that suffering and all of that persecution, Peter is writing this letter to them to encourage them to remind themselves that they are different. And they're different because they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And because of that relationship that has been granted to them by God through Jesus Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection for their sins, not only are they called to be different, understanding that Jesus has changed them and is changing them through the Holy Spirit that dwells within them, they also need to be reminded, and Peter is reminding them, that this world isn't their final home. That no matter how good or how difficult life is, that there is something to look forward to, a, a world that is without sin, a heaven that is without sin, where Jesus is the ruler, he sits on the throne. And so Peter writes this letter to encourage these group of Christians that are going through extreme circumstances that, Lord willing, we would never have to uh, be able to identify with. But at the same time, how do we, living in this day, in 2021, how do we as people who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, how do we live understanding that we've been made different by Jesus Christ, understanding that we have been called to live differently and faithfully in a world that's not our home? And so that's what we've been looking at verse by verse. Let me just say, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, man, we're so glad you're here today. Because what God wants you to hear is how you can be different, how you can have a relationship with him, how you can have a home awaiting you for all of eternity with Jesus Christ. And so we find ourselves in uh, verse 8 through 17 this morning in this passage of scripture that let's just be honest, right? Uh, a couple weeks we've been spending time in passages that have been very hard to hear, Right? How do we submit to authority when we can clearly point out that authority is not making the best choices, but yet we're still, according to verses 13 through 25, to submit ourselves to that authority, understanding that the Lord is in control and how our trust in Christ helps us submit to authority, even when it doesn't necessarily seem to line up with God's word. And then last week, right? How do husbands and wives, how do they relate to one another? How do wives called by God to submit to their husbands? And how are husbands to love and serve their wives? And how does that relationship work? I mean, those have been some difficult passages of Scripture, right? You don't need to say amen to that. But um, at the same time, I'm not naive. I know that they have been. And just think about as much as it's been difficult to maybe hear and be able to like, man, this situation, that situation, like, 
It's not what I feel, but it's what God's word says. And, and, and those types of tensions that we live in on a daily basis, just imagine the people that Peter is writing this letter to and the tensions that they felt. And so now we come to this passage of scripture in verses 8 through 17 of chapter 3. And Peter's going to kind of conclude this section of submission, understanding it's been difficult. So look at verse 8 and 9. He says this, finally, so right, remember I said he's just said this, he's drawing a conclusion, he's, he's tying a bow on this. Finally, all of you have unity of mind and sympathy and brotherly love and a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Like everything inside of you wants to repay evil for evil. That person didn't treat you well, that boss didn't treat you well, that spouse didn't treat you well, but on the contrary, bless. Why? For to this you were called. Like you ought to just underline that, on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. We're called to be a blessing. That you might also obtain a blessing. So we're called to bless others, but in blessing others, what do we get? We experience blessing. Remember I said that this is a difficult section, right? Um, and so I think what Peter is doing here is he's being kind of a coach to the people that he's writing to. How many of you have ever uh, had a coach in your life? Doesn't necessarily need to be sports, but could be a debate team, whatever it is. Raise your hand if you've ever had a coach in life. Okay, uh, so the majority of you, um, not as many as the nine. This isn't a competition, but I think I still, you guys are tracking with me. Most of you have had a coach. Just curious, how many of you have been a coach or are a coach? Raise your hand. Much less, which tells you it's much more difficult to be a coach than to be coached. But nevertheless, uh, I remember um, in my particular high school days, I had a, I had a soccer coach. I, uh, it's one of the sports I played in high school. And I had this coach in, in, um, in our high school team. And we were, you know, we were a really good team. We won the state, state championship one year in Florida. And, and I remember this coach, literally from the time the whistle was blown to the end of the game, all he did was yell. That's it. Like, face as dark as that orange seat that you're sitting in. Like, just yelled from start to finish. I mean, he got more of a workout than we did running around the field. And I remember one of the referees looked at me and said, does your coach just yell all the time? And I was like, yeah, pretty much. He's like, is that hard? He's like, no, we're used to it. Now, on the flip side, I had a basketball coach that why he yelled, don't get me wrong, he yelled. He didn't yell all the time. In fact, what was interesting is he knew how to give confrontation, but he also knew how to care. And he knew how to motivate each of his players. And he knew, you know, what to say to me versus to say to someone else. And he knew it couldn't all be different. And what was interesting about that coach is he was a great coach. He knew the X's and O's. He knew the game of basketball. He knew how to coach. He'd been coaching for years. He's actually still coaching. But he also knew when to put his arm around you 
and motivate that way as well. And I just mentioned the whole coaching analogy because I think that's what Peter's doing here. Now, let's remind ourselves, Peter is the one writing this letter, but 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. So the Holy Spirit is giving these words for Peter to write. So are they Peter's words? Yes. But are they also God's words? Yes. And so Peter here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is doing something here that's very important. He understands that what he has just laid out from verse 13 of chapter 2 all the way to verse 7 of chapter 3 has been very difficult for, his, for the people that he loves to be able to hear to be able to, if we use that word that's been used the past two weeks, submit to. And so what he's going to do in this passage of Scripture is to encourage them. To remind themselves that, that, that the reason why you are called to submit, even when it doesn't seem like it makes sense, is so that you can bless others. But in blessing others, he's encouraging them that they also receive a blessing. And so here's the idea that I want us to get this morning. That God has called you and he's called me to live differently. How? By being a blessing. That every person that God has placed you around, whether that's at work, whether that's in your home, whether that's in a dating relationship, whether that's in a friendship, whether obviously that's in a marriage, whatever it is, the people that he's placed around you in your life group, in this church, your neighbors, the people that you have playdates with at the park, whatever it is, that those people have been placed around you and you and I have a responsibility in living differently because we've been changed by the gospel and are being changed by the gospel to seek out ways to bless others. So how do we do that? Well, I think there's two questions that really come out of this text, this passage of scripture, that I think we need to ask ourselves. The first one is, how do I live as a blessing to others? Which we're gonna deal with in verses eight and nine. The second question is, how am I blessed by being a blessing to others? And we'll deal with that a little bit later. But the first question I want us to answer According to this passage of scripture, not my advice, but what God's word says, really answers this question, how do I be a blessing to others? How do you do that? Knowing, according to this passage, that's what we're called to do. Before we do that, let me just pray for us, that we be ready to hear what God has for us to, to hear and obedient to what he says in the situations that you're living in. Because after all, what do we want to be as children of God? Well, we want to be wise men, not foolish men, according to Matthew 7, 24 through 27. We don't want to be foolish and hear the words of God, but not obey them. No, we want to be wise. We want to put them into practice. We want to build upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as I pray out loud? God, would you... Just help us to block out the noise of whatever we came in with today, this week, this month, so that we can, Lord, not only hear what you want to say to us through your word, but also, Lord, that we would know by listening to the Holy Spirit how you want us to apply it in our life, not just hear, but be obedient. God, we take great confidence in knowing that when your word is open, your mouth is open. So God, thank you for this opportunity to gather together 
with people who love you, with people that may be here today who are searching. Lord, we look forward to the way that you will speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the first thing that I see in verses eight and nine that answer this question. How do you and I be a blessing to others? He says, finally, all of you, just look to the next person next to you and say, all of you. Like, like nobody's exempt from this. Like if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you means you. And it means me. Finally, all of you have this, have unity of mind. How do I be a blessing to others? Well, first of all, it starts with having a biblical mindset. Here's why I say a biblical mindset, because here's what unity does not mean. Unity does not mean uniformity. It's not what it means. It has the idea of cooperation in the midst of diversity. Like, listen, we're diverse even in this place. The body of Christ is diverse. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, every other nationality. There's diversity in the body of Christ. Rich background, poor background, broken family, loving family that raised you, different sin struggles, different temptations. We are extremely diverse. So it's not uniformity. It's not a lack of diversity when he says unity of mind. No, it's a biblical mindset. It's understanding that our commonality is not found in the color of our skin or our backgrounds or whatever it may be. No, our commonality is is found in that we all believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like we've all come to Jesus the same way. Maybe not at the same time, maybe not the same circumstances, but we all came in the same way. Understanding there's no one righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. We all came to Jesus Christ the same way. God, I am nothing, I have nothing, there's nothing I can do that's worth worth the good that you desire because you desire perfection. That's your standard. But praise God, Jesus Christ came. He lived and died and rose again for my sins. So I place my trust in you as my savior. You are what I need. We all came to Jesus that way. That's our commonality. Is that we all have a faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we understand that, that's so important in us seeing, oh, what Peter is getting at in unity of mind is not that we lose our diversity, but that we have unity around what really matters and what never changes. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when I start in understanding, no, no, you and I, our commonality is found that we were both sinners and we were both saved by grace, then we also move to the next way that we have unity in that biblical mindset is that this is God's word. These are Jesus's words to us. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So our unity is found in that we all have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the body of Christ and we live our lives according to his word. That's where our unity is found. And unfortunately that's being attacked today in the church. Because what do we see now? Well, all of a sudden, before you ever open your mouth 
Your credibility on what you have to say on whether or not it's true or not is what's the color of your skin, what's your background, who are you attracted to, we could go on and on and on. And based on that, if you don't fit whatever the culture says is the criteria, then before you even open up your mouth, I've already concluded that what you are saying is wrong. Now, that should not surprise us that that's how the world's culture thinks. But what should be surprising is that we have people in the church thinking that way now. And when we think that way, you can never achieve the unity that the Lord desires in his body. Like if I already made presuppositions because of the color of your skin before you ever open your mouth, how can unity ever be achieved? No, no, no. You're a sinner by grace. I'm a sinner by grace. We both experience the love of Christ. We both have his word. We both are called to apply it properly. That's where our unity is found. That's why we ought to be different than what we see in our world. Acts 2.44. Acts chapter 2, you have the church starting. The apostles preach in Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be the equivalent of our New York City. A melting pot of diversity. Tribes, tongues, nations. Acts 2 says that they all heard the gospel in their own tongue. And God supernaturally allowed that to happen as the apostles preached. And 3,000 people came to Christ on that day when the church was started. I can promise you they all weren't 3,000 people that looked the same, that came from the same background, that that were from the same uh, nationality, all of that. No, 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 extremely diverse. But in Acts 2.42 or 2.44, it says this. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. But their commonality wasn't found in their diversity. No, no, their commonality was found in what? That they all believed that Jesus Christ was the way, the truth, and the life. That was where their commonality was found. And oh, friend, do we need that in the church? Do we need to be reminded of that here at Salem Chapel? But our commonality is found in that. It's found on the gospel and God's word. And let's guard ourselves from wanting to allow other things to tell us on how we are to interact with someone that is different than us. Romans 12, 2 says this, Paul says this, not Peter, but Paul, another apostle, Do not be conformed to this world. Conformed has the idea, it's literally put its mold on you. It'd be like a jello mold. Like I liked jello when I was a kid, don't really like it now. Like I hate it when it gets that skin on it, right? Anybody else with me? But nevertheless, some of you might like jello. Think about jello when you made jello, is what you would do. You would pour the liquid into a mold. And then it would congeal, and then when you would pop it out of that mold, that jello took on the form of its mold. That's the idea of conform. So when Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, what he's saying is, don't let the world, not the planet, the world, but the system that we live in, 
Don't allow that to tell you what to think, how to feel, what's popular, definition of terms. Don't be conformed to this world. What I'm supposed to hate, what I'm supposed to love, but be what? Be transformed. How am I transformed? By submitting to God's word and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit affirms God's word. But it be transformed how? By the renewing of my mind. So that I will see what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And the reason why some of us are not living with a biblical mindset is because we are not allowing our minds to be transformed by God's word. Rather, we are allowing our minds to be conformed by the world system. And we wonder why we don't see God's will, which is God's word, as good as perfect In regards to our lives. See, we can't do any of the other things that we're about to cover and how to be a blessing to others if we don't start at the foundation. How does God want me to love you? How does God want me to treat my fellow man and my fellow woman? Well, it's got to start, we got to all start on the same page. Otherwise, what I think is right and what you think is right could be totally two different things and we could justify that and be okay with that and justify our actions. No, no, no. But when we start with a biblical mindset and we're unified in our mind because God's word is transforming our minds, now all of a sudden we see the same things as good and perfect in the will of God. Starts with a biblical mindset. Now, when we move from a biblical mindset, now all the other things begin to follow. Look at what else he says. He says that we are to show sympathy, that sympathy for others is something that we need to extend in order to be a blessing to others. What does that word sympathy mean? It actually means, it comes from two words that mean this, to have a fellow feeling. Like that I'm able to, I be able to uh, relate to share the feelings that you're feeling. So when you're going through something difficult and you're going through something painful, what has the Lord called me to do? Remember, we, to this we are called. We are called to what? We are called to bless. We are called to be a blessing. Is for me to extend sympathy towards others that are hurting. Not dismissing their hurt. Listening sympathizing. See, the reality is, as many of us, maybe this morning are just feeling sad, we're feeling down. The amount of times that I've heard that in 2020 has been more than any other time I've ever heard it in my years of ministry. The times that I've felt it personally has been more significant, where it's like, man, why am I just sad? Why am I just feeling discouraged? Why am I feeling that way? For many of us, our world's been turned upside down. I mean, I mean, you, you go to work and it's different. You're like, no, I want to be on one more Zoom call. I don't, I'm tired of wearing this. 
I'm having to teach kids on a screen and kids in a classroom, and I loved teaching before 2020, and now I hate it, right? Like, we can go on and on and on, and you're just like, man, I just feel sad. If you're a kid, like, I just want to be in a classroom, like we go on and on, right? It's a reality. And you know what I've found when I'm feeling this way? That the things that gets me out of that funk is to look and to see and say, God, would you show me today? I'm feeling down. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling discouraged. I may even be feeling depressed. Would you allow me to see how I can be a blessing to someone else? How I can extend sympathy. Because you know what I've found in my life, and I've seen it with others as well, and they've testified of this, that when we start looking on how we can serve someone else and maybe help someone else who is hurting worse than we are, you know what it does? We, in turn, receive a blessing out of that. And we'll deal with that later. Sympathy's not pity either, though. It's not like we go around and like, oh, I want to find someone worse off than me so I can feel better about myself. That's not sympathy. Like, God bless you. Like, here's what I've learned in North Carolina. God bless you means something totally different than what it did in Florida. Like, when someone was like, God bless you. Someone was like, yeah, that's code for, like, that's too bad for you. It's not pity. It's actually like, no, no, no. I may not necessarily been through what you've been through, but I want to have a fellow feeling. I want to be able to extend love to you, to extend an ear to you, to hear what you're going through. It's a way that I can minister. Peter calls these people who are going through so much to say, take your gaze up. And look to be a blessing. Do it with a biblical mindset. Do it the way that the Bible tells you to. But extend sympathy. What else does he say? He says brotherly love. Literally that idea literally means be loving brethren or be brethren who are loving. This is speaking to someone else who is a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean it's hard enough, right? It's hard enough. To stand against temptation, to endure trials, to be a testimony with Jesus, for Jesus, without having to wonder, does my brother or sister have my back? Like Salem Chapel, let's get real specific, needs to be a place that you know that, man, I have a community of brothers and sisters in Christ that are shoulder to shoulder with me. Sadly, so many of us, especially who grew up in the church, have poor memories where we're like, no, 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 the church is where they shoot their own wounded. God help us. But if that's your story, hear me on this. That's not a problem with God's word. That's an issue of it not being applied properly and do not allow someone's sin to cause you from being obedient to what God wants you to do. Brotherly love. We're family. And the world's looking for that. 
We're looking for that. And we're called to live it out. What else does he say? He says a tender heart. Now, what you need to understand in the culture of the day, in the Roman Empire, in the Roman culture, because after all, that's who's the ruling authority in the time that Peter is writing this, this idea of a tender heart, of showing um, meekness and, and being tender was not a character trait that was actually looked well upon. It was looked at as weakness. It was not something that was promoted. So when Peter says that they are to show a tender heart, he was speaking of something that is countercultural to the time. He's saying, you know the way that you can be a blessing to others, even though it's taboo in your culture? Listen to me, people still want it. They want you to be tender with them. They don't want you to be harsh with them. And you know what's interesting? You know what causes your heart to be tenderized more than anything else? Suffering. I remember when I was, uh, very first church I served in, after I graduated seminary, I served at Lori's hometown in Mansfield, Pennsylvania, a town of 3,500 people. And I served under this pastor who wasn't a great communicator, who wasn't a, you know, someone who was like, hey, here's the next three to five year plan of where we're headed. But man, that, that pastor knew how to love people. And he was so patient with me because I was being out and I was looking and I, and you know, I was naive and dumb and whatever adjective you want to use. And I was just like, why are you doing that with this person? They did this, they sh- this should happen, whatever it is. It was a lot of my legalistic upbringing bleeding out and, never- and he was so patient with me. And saying, yeah, they did that. But you need to understand that this is what they were struggling with. And yeah, you're not, I'm not excusing what they did, but this is, this is what it looks like to be tender. I mean, I was 24 years old, naive. You ought to be thankful you're not getting that guy today. (laughs) You know what I've found over my life? Is the things that God has allowed Lori and I to walk through. Not that he caused, but that he was with us along the way, the suffering, the different situations. You know, what I, you know what I see that God has done in my life? And I don't say this, I got a long way to go. But you know what it do, has done? It's tenderized my heart to people. All oh, this, this person did this, they did that. But how do we come alongside of them and love them and hear the struggles that led up to that point. When I mean, we go on and on and on and on. But that's what suffering does. It tenderizes your heart, or it should, depending on how you respond to it. And that's what Peter is getting at. The suffering that you're going through. He's saying to these Jewish Christians, the things that you're going through, allow it to be used by God to help you extend sympathy and empathy and love. And the way that you bless others is by showing a tender heart. And when you show a tender heart, what else does he say? He also says, not just a tender heart, but a humble mind that you live out humility. Humbleness, humility is not a personality. 
Listen, I've met some people that are, that are the most quiet, the most non-threatening, the most introverted people that you can imagine. They're, but their pride just oozes out in a passive-aggressive way. And I've met some individuals in my life who are as type A as type A can be. Like, you never have to wonder what they're thinking, what they're feeling, but have been tremendous examples to me of what humility looks like. Why? Because humility is a mindset, not a personality, and it's a mindset that reflects itself in action. Listen, I can't have humility and extend sympathy and not extend sympathy. I cannot have not have humility in my life and not also extend brotherly love, have a tender heart. All that stems out of humility and all of these things just so that we don't forget all stem out of me having a biblical mindset by us being unified on what the Bible has to say about how we show sympathy, about how we show brotherly love, about how we exemplify a tender heart to someone, about how we exemplify humility. Why? Because in Philippians 2, what does Paul say? Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Christ Jesus. And then here's the last thing that he says in verse 9 about how do we live as a blessing for others. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Why? Because that's what you were called. We're to extend mercy to others. When it says repaying, it literally means giving back. See, as Christians, we can extend and we can we can extend mercy or a lack of mercy and live on different levels. Here's in one level. We can return evil for good. Like we can do that. No, no, I remember what you did to me, so I'm giving you evil. I'm not giving you good. That's a satanic level. Completely contradictory to God's word. We can do this, we can live on this level. We can return good for good and evil for evil. And you know what that is? That's the human level. Like that doesn't make you any different than someone who's not a follower of Jesus Christ. Because after all, man, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, we'll have this little transaction. You do good for me, I'll do good for you. You do me evil, I'm gonna do you evil. Like that doesn't make us any different, but we oftentimes can live on that level. But what does it look like to be a blessing? Man, we live this way. We can return good for evil. That's a divine level. That's a level that shows you're different. That's a level that you can't take credit for. I can't believe that you responded that way. Don't you know what he or she did to you? Yeah, I know. But who am I to return evil for evil? When God has extended his mercy to me. When Ephesians 2, 4 says that God was rich in his mercy to me. Verse 1, even when I was dead in my trespasses and sins. See, what does it look like to be a blessing to others? It's, no, I'm looking for ways to extend mercy. Did they deserve that? No, they didn't. But that's what mercy is, getting what I don't deserve. 
Have I received what I don't deserve? Absolutely. So who am I not to extend mercy to someone else? Listen to me. All these things that we just went through in 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, on how do we be a blessing to others, the world is looking for that. Everywhere. Where can I belong? Where can I be accepted? Where can I be loved? Where can I be extended sympathy and empathy? The world is looking for that, and the church has the answers. But unfortunately, if we are not intentional and looking to be a blessing to others, we don't look anything different than anything else that's out there. In the main of our time, when we seek to be a blessing to others, this passage says in verse 9, you may obtain a blessing. So in the time we have left, here's the question I want to answer. How are you blessed by being a blessing? Like, how are we blessed? Look at verse 10 and 11. It says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. You know the first way that I see in verses 10 and 11 that we're blessed by being a blessing to others? You get to love life. That's what you experience. That's what he says. Hey, you want to love life? You want to see good day, good days? Then be a blessing to others. And that's the blessing that you receive. So often we just approach life as this complete burden, and I don't say that to minimize our circumstances at all. We look for ways to escape life. How can I escape? How can I just binge on Netflix and take myself away from the problems of the day? How can I go and escape? And unfortunately, we go to pornography, we go to alcohol, we go to spending, we go to all different types of things. Why? Because we're looking for an escape. Rather than what God's word says, and hey, look for ways to be a blessing, and all of a sudden life will begin to be something that you enjoy living again. Nobody loves to have fun more than me. Maybe as much, but not more. And I'll be honest with you, there's certain things that my fun meter is not what it was in 2021 as it was in 2019. All the things that I can't do, that I like to do, all those different times, I get that. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be able to still, as followers of Jesus Christ, be able to say and say, hey, that doesn't mean that we can't still love life. And if I'm not loving life right now, I wonder if it's because I'm not looking for opportunities to bless others. And I say that according to this passage of Scripture. See, I think there's, there's a couple things that Peter gives as indicators or, or um, consequences that may shape why we don't love life this morning. Look at what he says first in verse 10. He talks about because we're not controlling our tongues. Maybe that's why we don't love life this morning. Right, he says that in verse 10. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Many of the problems that we experience come from this little thing right here. Some of you are freaking out because I didn't sanitize my hands and I touched my tongue. I'll be fine. <laughs> this little thing. 
gets me and gets you into more problems. And we want to say, ah, it's someone else's fault. No, no, no. It's because we aren't controlling our tongues. And it's affecting and taking away opportunities to bless others, which in turn allows us to love life and see good days. Some of us need to put this verse on our dashboard, on the wallpaper of our phones. Here it is, Psalm 141.3. And then we need to say it to ourselves daily. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. What am I letting out that needs to stay in? Control our tongues. How about this? Look at verse 11. One of the ways that we may not be experiencing life is because we're not seeking and pursuing peace. What is God asking you to just lay down, to agree to disagree? Now, he's not saying in here that we pursue peace at all costs so that peace is achieved and is the main goal and we're achieving peace and we're being disobedient to God's word. That's not what he's saying. We can go verse, give many verses to show that that's not what God is saying through Peter here. But what he's saying is, is how are you seeking peace? This verse has convicted me so many times. Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, as much lies within you, live peaceably with all men. Let me ask you this. It's a phrase that was given to me that's not new with me, but it stuck with me. Are you a person who brings gasoline to a fire or water? You know what I mean by that? Like something's erupting, a situation, a confrontation, and man, you just, you got your little jug of gasoline, and you're like, ooh, tell me more about that. Ooh, what did he say? Ooh, what did she say? Yeah, you're right. Are you someone who brings water and is like, what does God's word have to say about it? How does God want you to seek peace? What's your role in this situation? So you were one of two people. And I wonder if some of the reasons why we're not loving life is because we're not controlling our tongues and we're not looking for ways to seek and pursue peace. I think it's interesting that Peter gives those two as an example of what we need to stay away from so that we can be a blessing to others and can experience the blessing of loving life and seeing good days. What else does he say? Look at verses 12 through 15. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Remember, he's talking to people who are suffering. He's wanting to be a good coach. He's wanting to encourage. He says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, listen, evil is being done to you and the Lord sees it and the Lord is working and he is going to address it. Verse 13 now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? God's in control. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, here's our focus. Here's what we control. But verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Here's another way I'm blessed by being a blessing to others, man. I'm strong in the Lord. I'm experiencing his strength. It's easy when we're faced with crises to give into that fear. 
What's going to happen? How is this going to be resolved? How is this going to be eliminated? But it's in those times that we need to fear the Lord more than the fear of circumstances. Fear the Lord in the sense of, Lord, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to remind myself that you're in control. Psalm 27 is my go-to psalm during those times. We spent a whole series at the beginning of this coronavirus in 2020. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I fear? Fear of the Lord trumps fear of circumstances. That's what Peter is getting at here. And understanding as well in verse 14 that some of the greatest blessings of life are the result of going through some of the most difficult times of life. I've seen that in my life. That in the moment, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't want it. I asked why. I wouldn't want to go through it again. But praise God that in the midst of that difficulty, you know what grew by God's grace is my strength in him. And I could go on and on about people in our church that by God's grace I've been able to walk alongside of who've lost their spouse, who've lost their child. Listen to me, in every church I've pastored, it's been a younger church, and I, I would love to be able to say that I've done more funerals of individuals who lived 90 years old and loved Jesus, and, and, and they lived a long life and left a long legacy, but unfortunately, most of the funerals that I've had to do are tragedies of someone losing their children, someone losing their spouse unexpectedly, someone losing their teenager and to sit with them and wonder why and to cry with them and to, and to extend the things that we've talked about in 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9, but at the same time to be able to be so encouraged to see that in the midst of that sorrow, in the midst of that grief, in the midst of those unanswered questions, to be able to see that their strength in the Lord rises to the surface. That is the blessing in the midst of the pain that Peter is talking about in verse 14. And then he ties it to an outward perspective, like, like you're strong in the Lord, but here's what it does. It gives you an opportunity to witness. You see that there? It says, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you and do it with gentleness and respect. That defense literally has the idea of something that you present in court. It's a legal term. But notice that in this passage, the Lord's not calling us to be prosecuting attorneys. Let me show you why you're wrong. He's calling us to be witnesses, to testify of what Jesus is doing in our lives, that he's making us different. Me talking with someone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and is living in a way that's contrary to God's word, that is not an opportunity for me to debate and to argue. It's an opportunity, me, opportunity for me to share the love of Christ and how the gospel has changed me and how it can change them. I've never found in all my years of ministry where I ever convinced someone of the way that God wants them to live or who Jesus Christ is from a keyboard. 
It's never happened to me. But it has happened when I've shown sympathy and love and humility and mercy. Here's the last thing, the way that we're blessed by being a blessing to others, verses 16 and 17. And we get to experience the blessing of having a clear conscience. Verses 16 and 17 say, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Notice it says when you're slandered, not if. Like if you've never had relationships with people that don't know the Lord as their savior and don't believe in this Bible and you agree on everything, that ought to tell you that you're not jiving with what God's word says. It's not that you're presenting that in a judgmental way, but you're called to live differently. Verse 17, for it's better to suffer for doing good than it, if that should be God's will than for doing evil. A clear conscience. That God's word is the teacher of your conscience. Listen, let your conscience be your God is a terrible phrase because my conscience is formed by my surroundings. Like depending on background I grew up, I can think that this was right and this was wrong. Perfect example, I remember going to a certain church, just happened to be in this state by the way, and I was going to a friend's wedding. Hope I don't get anybody angry this morning. Um, I was going to a friend's wedding and my mom, and it was a rehearsal, uh, we were, I was in the wedding and it was a rehearsal uh, dinner and the wedding and all of that stuff, rehearsing for the wedding and my mom had pants on and they wouldn't allow her to go in, this, in the auditorium. Not sure there's a verse on pants or no pants. Well, you gotta wear pants. <laughs> but pants or dress. <laughs> That's what I mean, right? My conscience can be formed my surroundings, what I'm taught. Like I can be Amish and, and all of a sudden be told not to wear lipstick all day long and then all of a sudden I'm, I know it's okay to live lips, wear lipstick and I, if I'm a lady and I'm putting on lipstick and, but then there's something in me that's like, I don't know, I know it's right but it makes me feel a certain way. Like let your conscience be your guide is, is not always a great phrase. But when God's word is the teacher of my conscience, it's a beautiful thing. So as we close this morning, let me ask you this. Are you living, loving life? I didn't say that circumstances were just, you're batting a thousand. No, no, no. Are you loving life in the midst of difficult circumstances? Are you experiencing the strength of the Lord? Are you experiencing the blessing of a clear conscience? Like, it's not that you don't sin, it's not that you're perfect, but you keep a short account with the Lord. You rest in the promise of 1 John 1, 9, that if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Are we experiencing that? Because according to this passage of scripture, those are blessings. Those are blessings. And someone can look at my life and say, man, everything that you're going through, you shouldn't have a smile on your face. You shouldn't have a joy exuding from you, but you do. 
tell me more about that. And if we're not feeling that way, I wonder if it's because we haven't been as intentional for just every day waking up and saying, Lord, I know I'm so tired of teaching this way. I'm so tired of not being able to interact with people. I'm so tired of whatever it may be and your circumstances have caused you to not to be able to leave your home or whatever, maybe it's a health condition, whatever, and you're watching me online right now and you're like, I'm so over this. Or it could be something completely different. What I want to encourage you to do is when you wake up tomorrow morning, pray this prayer. God, would you help me to see one person that I can be a blessing to. Show sympathy. Show love. Be tender with. Extend mercy. Live out humility. Because God's word says if we live that way, we get, we experience what we've been longing for. God, help us to be those types of people. God, we're here today. Lives before your word. Lord, me knowing that there's individuals in this room that all have different experiences, different circumstances, different things that they're having to navigate through. And they're asking, Lord, how does my relationship with you make a difference in this? God, would you help them to be willing, first of all, to express those emotions to you, knowing that you're not scared by those words. But in the midst of that, God, that we would pray when we get up tomorrow, And days after that, if that's what you choose. And we would say, God, would you help me to see how I can be a blessing to someone else and show that you've made me different. And Lord, in doing that, may we rejoice in the blessings that we receive. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning?